Anyway, this is a sports podcast. <laughs> this is a college football podcast. But welcome to his English class. That's not even an English class. I'm just a dork. That's correct. Welcome to Chapel Belcher, stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And today we are going to be breaking down UGA's, dare I say, demolishing, uh, disapparition, molecularizing of the University of South Carolina on Saturday. The, the term we used the most in the preview was atomize. And so I think this was an atomization. Atomizing. Atomization of, of USC. Um, mm-hmm. So we will start our review episodes as we always do with our subjective experiences. Justin, why don't you tell us how your day went on Saturday? It was a great day. You know, um, a few Saturdays ago, I claimed it was a perfect day. I think this was also a very perfect day. Um, you know, inherently, you can't really have multiple perfect days if they're different that way. I mean, it kind of ruins the whole idea. But this was a perfect day. I uh, started with a, uh, a run. Do, been doing the Ath-Hath training. Um, that's been a lot of fun. We did nine miles on Saturday morning and then drove out for my mother's birthday um, and my grandmother's birthday. And on the same day found out that my brother is having a baby and i'm very excited about that um he and, and you're gonna his be partner, an uncle i'm gonna be an uncle again double uncle all the way across the sky uh it's very exciting super super duper exciting and um they're excited and we are excited and my mom is gonna be a grandma and she can't contain herself but uh really great news then uh came back to athens with enough time we felt you know those night games great time because we we're able to go and kind of enjoy game day in some way and so before the game started we uh we, we drove out and, and walked around campus and kind of got to take it all in as best we could and um got to stand on the bridge right outside sanford and had some beer and played one of our favorite game day games called that's not close uh, where in which that's not close is a game where you see people wearing bits of fabric or thing it could not it might not even be fabric sometimes um that is just not close. You know, it's not a judgment necessarily. It's just a statement. You know, that's not close. That's a bandana. That's not close. That's strings of fabric. That's not close. That is just leather. Somehow you found leather and affixed it to your body. Um, but game day is a day where there are no rules and that applies to close as well. And so it's always a good time to kind of just watch the passersby. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I've always talked about it. You know, when I used to work at the brewery, one of my favorite things was overhearing people say, um, that'd be a cute game day outfit, which, which means I would not wear this any other time for any other reason. But the fact that today football is being played, I'm able to wear this as an outfit. Uh, and that's always my favorite kind of excuse, uh, for that. But, um, also, a, a, a pretty lovely experience I had was sitting on the bridge and I, I kind of looked over and there was a guy that was like really close to me that was kind of kneeling on the ground. And I thought that maybe he was getting sick. Um, but what he was actually doing was trying to sneak airplane bottles of booze into the stadium. And so he was trying to put them into his, his like his new balance shoes um, that were, <laughs> that was not going to work. <laughs> it was a very poor choice. And so I kind of, I leaned over and I was like, Hey bud, Hey, you're going to need to put those in your underwear. And he was like, in my underwear? I'm like, yeah, you're going to, no. I've done it before. You're going to need to put it in your underwear. And he was like, so taken aback. And then, all at once as if, and he, he had had a few of these airplane bottles himself already, but, uh, you could tell just from talking to it, but, um, 
it dawned on him all at once. He looked at me and his eyes got real big and he said, I wore compression underwear today. And I was like, you knew this was coming then, my man. <laughs> so he shoved it. He, in was, his, he didn't uh, know he was ready, but he was ready. He knew. Yeah, he didn't know, but he was ready. He was so ready to, to cross that bridge, um, quite literally, in fact. But uh, he shoved it in the legs of his shorts up into his little compression pan, uh, compression shorts. And, uh, you know, it, much like, you know, making friends in the bathroom, he, he was like, do I look good? Do you see anything? Like, no, man, you're got, you got this. And then uh, he, he walked in through the gate and he saw us on the other side and gave us the big thumbs up and went and enjoyed himself. So um, I felt like a proud dad in that moment. It was a good time. How was your experience? It was a good day. Uh, you know, Similarly to the general fan experience, which, first of all, I cannot imagine drinking on game day, which makes mm. me, I guess, a little bit of a Puritan in that sense. But um, old whatever. teetotaler. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird because that's definitely not who I am as a human. But uh, I thought that, you know, the Redcoats did had a really good day. Uh, you know, it's been I, I think for marching band, college marching band in particular, writ large, there are a lot of marching bands really suffering right now under a lack of practice time and a lack of continuity. And I, I think that the Redcoats have done really well in the face of that, um, especially considering sort of the constraints that they've been working under. Practice was hot. The whole day was super humid, which I don't think so if humid. you were out in it was super – like I don't think if you weren't out in it for like 12 hours was very apparent – but it was very apparent to me. It was very humid, very sweaty, but that was all right. Uh, I thought, you know, the Redcoats are playing this like Georgia soul music um, show right now. And they have a bunch of like sort of signature visual sets that they pulled off really well. And the thing is, anytime you're spelling anything on the field or anything, you're making a shape that's like recognizable and symbolic of something in the real world. It is a high risk, high reward maneuver because oh, yeah. if you make if you nail it, it it really is it really is impressive. Like the Redcoats have been doing script Georgia in their halftime show for the past couple of weeks, and like they've nailed it both times, which has been really good. But I thought I thought they did really good. We added a whole we had an entire new movement to the show, um, like a third song, and I thought that went really well. I saw Abby and Disney Dog. We took a picture together, and that was really sweet. I saw Jordan Davis at field level when I was walking around the hedges and just Jesus Christ almighty. That man is just, <laughs> it's so big. He's big in a way that is like, it's difficult for me to reckon as a person who is not often smaller than the people he's around. If that uh -huh. makes sense. Yes. Uh, I got my yearly Ugga pick. I got a really fun picture with Ugga. It was really funny. I waited until the Redcoats were on the field and playing. And then there was no one around Ugga. And I just walked up and I was like, can I take a picture? And as I knelt down, <laughs> The, the the stadium security lady next to Ugga was like, please don't touch him. And I was like, well, first of all, this is this is a national treasure, so I would never do anything to hurt this dog. <laughs> but we took a picture and I got up and I looked at Charles Sealer and I was like, you know, I, I'm not only will I not touch this dog, I'm so worried about him getting hurt. Like I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm <laughs> a little unsettled even being near him, you know, and he thought that that was very funny and did like a <laughs> laugh. I was like, all right. There we go. Dad I've jokes made it. can dad jokes work on the highest stage. That was the big leagues, and my dad, my big league dad joke landed, and that's that's the most important thing. Uh, that was really like after that. At that point, we were already up, you know, twenty points or whatever. And and after that, I was like, all right, I got to say it was a good day, like just ice cube style, like it was mm -hmm. or uh, iced tea rather. No, that was that's ice cube. That's ice cube. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so that was I don't know. I mean, it was pretty much front to back a really good day. Oh. 
we had this okay this was not a bad thing either and nobody was hurt or anything but it was just weird so we were coming off the field and the way the redcoats have been sort of moving around you know you you can't really have interaction around the teams anymore because of covid protocols you can't be on the field at the same time as the teams so you have to wait for all the teams to leave and then we can come on which is different than it used to be it used to be that the redcoats would be you know out on the field with two or three minutes left on the sidelines just sort of hanging around but we can't do that right now because of covid so when we leave we we go up under i guess the east stands and behind the behind the away team locker room and then back around to our seats so we're we're going under there and I hear on my radio and it was a very secret service moment where like three or four of the staff members all pressed their hands to their, <laughs> their um, radio um, headpieces all at once. So we hear over the radio, the one of the staff members that was still up in our stand section over the halftime, just to make sure everything was okay, was like, hey, we're having some kind of issue. There's like a confrontation with a fan going on right now. We need you guys over there. So we, we like book it up there, right? And and I ran, you know, sort of through a, I think, restricted section in the stadium to get over there. So I get over there, and in this very, very empty section of stands, there's just this one guy standing there, right? <laughs> and there's a stadium security person, and he's a dude maybe in his 40s, uh, and he just has his hands in his pockets, and he's just, like, staring straight ahead, ignoring everyone. And so we go up to him, and it's like, hey, man, you know, this is our section. Uh it's been our section for, you know, except for two years, it's been our section for like 40 years or whatever. And so we need you to leave. And the guy's like, no. <laughs> okay. And he's not, he's not confrontational. He kind of, he kind of just like sovereign citizen us, you know, where he was like, <laughs> this is where I was. Yeah. Yeah. I am my own constitution or whatever. No gods, no masters. And so it turns out what had happened was that this guy had tried to go down the inner bowl of the stadium by the Redcoats and get down into the track by the hedges. And that area, um, they don't let you go down near the Redcoats Mm -mm. anymore because we have a bunch of stuff up front, right? At at like to the bottom next to the hedges or whatever. You can go down in the area next to the hedges, like other than just where the Redcoats are. So they wouldn't let him through. And his reaction was to, I mean, his reaction was to stage what I would describe as like a passive civil disobedience, uh, um, you know, civil disobedience style, direct action movement where he just stood in the redcoat section and we couldn't go up there. So there's like 450 redcoats under the stands, just standing there sweaty and hot wearing masks (laughs) in the humidity. And he's just standing there. So eventually we get uh, a state trooper up there and I don't even know if they arrested him. I don't even think they did arrest him. I think they just sort of like escorted him out of the stadium. And you could tell that the state trooper was kind of like, man, I'm just trying to do my (laughs) job. What are, yeah. what are we doing here? What are we doing yeah. here? What's the big... So, come on. But the funniest moment was that they were like, make a hole. And so they escorted this guy out through the Redcoats. And it was very much like... The the band didn't really know what was going on. So they weren't like angry at the guy or anything. But it, it very much felt like a like the end of a courtroom drama. You know, where they're like <laughs> escorting out the guy who has gotten convicted. And there's like all the press or the paparazzi or whatever. It was just a really weird experience. Because like... You know, if I'm like, oh, the Redcoats had a weird fan interaction, you expect it to be something where it's like, oh, this guy was super drunk and he like, you know, st- mm-hmm. swung at someone. But no, it was just a dude who was like in it's the spirit of Mahatma Gandhi. Yeah. <laughs> but I, it was like he felt like he was making some sort of stand for liberty. You know what I'm saying? He yeah. was like, yeah, he was like, you jackbooted thugs don't scare me as like. <laughs> Three or four music majors and an English teacher were trying to convince him to leave a section of the college football stands. 
it was he just was a, trying it was to figure out what he was trying to moment. prove. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure what what was going on, but yeah, it was a great day. It was very humid, but other than that, it was great. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess we can talk about what's on the what's going on in the field. Obviously, yeah. uh, that's why we're uh, here. If you're if, yeah, if you're watching this, uh, you probably already know this, but Georgia won 40 to 13. It was, um, I would say, maybe not. Cr- it was one of those games that was about as lopsided as it seemed, but yeah. there were definitely moments where it wasn't as lopsided, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, no, it does. Yeah. South Carolina definitely had like flashes of of good. Like I would even say excellence at, at times. They had some moments that were like, oh, we should like sort of like a, I will watch your career with great interest over the next few years. Shane. Beamer yeah. And yeah. I, de- your, I definitely had. Yeah, I definitely had some. I had some of that feeling, too. Um, mm-hmm. So just as a brief like stats update, if we're going to we can look at both this game in general and also where UGA is on the season. So UGA's end of game win expectancy was a hundred percent. And if you look at their, uh, the win probability index, I think, I mean, it started at in the nineties yeah, and I think the low point was like 97. So like in that sense, in the just pure statistical standpoint, it was really, really not uh, competitive, uh, total EPA wise, which is just your expected points added, uh, off, Let's see. Offensively, uh, UGA had 14.34 EPA, which is pretty good. Or sorry, 13.15 EPA. Uh, Offensively, special teams EPA, 1.18. Penalty EPA, 0.44. So uh, on the other hand, South Carolina had negative 12 offensive EPA. Jeez. UGA's defense continues to do work. Uh, Defensively, UGA had a 71% stop rate, which just refers to just how often Basically, how often UGA got the stop that it needed, you know, uh, five havoc plays created, three three in the pass game, two rushing, two tackles for loss from UGA, two sacks, two passes defensed, one pick, and a fumble forced. Uh, special teams wise, UGA had a, I mean, like you know, they didn't miss a field goal. They had negative point eight five kickoff return EPA because they had one long ish kickoff return, but nothing like mm-hmm. crazy. Um, scrimmage production, you know, 63 plays. It was really interesting because, like, uh, plays run and time of possession were actually pretty even. Yeah. Uh, South Carolina won 63, ran 63. Georgia ran 66. But Georgia had 516 yards and South Carolina had 299. Uh, yards per play, that is 7.82 to 4.75. That is a differential of almost three. Uh, or, sorry, almost four. Um, you know, negative 12 EPA, like I said, for South Carolina's offense. So, like... It was sort of a drubbing. I will say, you know, uh, in the passing game for South Carolina, there were some moments where South Carolina got some stuff going. They had 214 passing yards, 6.9 yards per play. They had a negative 2.92 EPA because when things, when they weren't hitting deep third down passes, they weren't really hitting anything at all. Uh, Zeb Nolan got injured early on, right, after I think three or four plays. But Luke Dottie Mm -hmm. came in and 13 for 26, 153 yards, one touchdown, one interception, one sack. 45.2 XQBR for Luke Dottie. I, I would say, like, of those 153 yards, the ones that really stand out for UGA uh, was Josh Van had three catches for 128 yards on eight targets uh, and a touchdown. Then Jalen Brooks had three catches for five, uh, on five targets for 54 yards. So I, I would say 
totally dominant defense top to bottom except for a couple of big pass plays i think you know amir speed was kind of the guy that south carolina thought that they could target and they had some success there uh we're going to get into this more later, but I think one of the big things that, that you take away is that sometimes there's just no defense for a perfect pass. That doesn't necessarily, you know, explain away or make the the performance better by the pass defense. But there, I would say of those five receptions from uh, Josh Van, two of them were kind of just like, well, sometimes that happens. And yeah. when it does, there's really nothing you can do about it. So you got to tip your cap and just move on to the next thing. Um, mm hmm. That's that, that on one play heat. with Josh Van that there was one like just unreal catch. Um, yeah, I mean, and he it caught was like, one like over his head one handed and it's like. Yeah, and around the defender like he was being defended yeah, properly. The, that, yeah, uh, yeah. Amir Speed had good position and, and I don't necessarily like I'm not trying to bag on Amir Speed. I never really want to bag on any football player, especially one who doesn't get paid for what they do. But I, I'm just saying like sometimes, you know, you have a player that has, just has a good day and you have to just incorporate into your defensive game plan that you're going to give up some yards. And that's just how mm -hmm. it is uh, on the year, Georgia. This was a game that really helped Georgia's uh, advanced metrics from an offensive standpoint and slightly hurt Georgia's defensive metrics. Although the, the hurt was slight because they gave up basically one touchdown, which is more than given up all year. Mm -hmm. um, Georgia is up to the 41st ranked offense per EPA. Um, they are the 28th ranked um, explosiveness e offense and the 84th ranked success rate offense. So this is an offense that is not very efficient. They are not great at getting steady amounts of yards, but they will throw a deep pass on you or, or have a big play overall. 52nd stuff rate, so that's average. 78th line yard rank, that's below average. They're not really doing a great yard of generating easy yards or the meaning of runs. 113th rush EPA rank and 14th pass EPA rank. So I think at this point it's, it's, I don't know if it's fair to say that UGA has a running problem because it's hard to say that the second or first rate team in the nation has a problem. Mm -hmm. But I think it is something that we can at, le at the very least say that UGA has not been productive running wise. Um, yeah. Other I'll, things I'll that say stand. No, go ahead. On that point though, um, just like from a, just a standard, uh, just the eye test, like watching the game over the course of the day. Um, it, it seemed like there weren't a lot of holes being made properly from the, the O-line for the run game to get started. It, but then again, that might not have been the, the, the real objective of the run game at the time. It didn't seem like we were looking for explosive plays. It seemed like at the times we were running the ball, it was, it was intentional that we were just trying to get the, the continue to let the clock run. Like I, I wouldn't be super concerned about the rank, um, at least that's how I personally feel. Uh, how do you how do you can uh, feel about that so far? I mean, I I think that there were I think there's some things we need to clean up, and I mm -hmm. think that there's an there's an element to it where it's like you're going to take what the defense gives you, and it's pretty clear that UGA thinks that they are better at taking pass yards that the defense gives them than running yards. I I think that there's some play selection problems, and we can talk about that a little mm -hmm. bit later. Um, yeah. To finish out to finish out our advanced stats update. Uh, defensively, UGA is the second EPA defense in the nation, fourth in success rate, fifth in explosiveness rank. So, I mean, basically just good, like probably the best, still the best defense in the nation, I think, by a pretty good margin. 38th stuff rate rank, 18th line yards rank, uh, fifth in rush EPA, second in pass EPA, 
first in standard down EPA, 36th in pass down EPA. So, you know, giving up a little bit more in the passing game than they are in the running game um, situationally. But, you know, so some of those big third down completions sort of account for that. But still, the fifth ranked uh, rusher EPA and the second ranked pass EPA, it's really hard to say that you have too bad of a problem. Uh, passing down EPA rank 36th, uh, Havoc rate rank 37th, and points per opportunity rank first. So points per opportunity is how many points you get each time you possess the ball uh, inside of the opponent's 40. So Georgia is at this point in the year doing that better than anybody in the nation, which is pretty clear mm, because mm, mm. they really have only been like three or four successful drives from opponents against this Georgia defense. And only one of them resulted in the touchdown. You know, you have this note here about how stats tell us that we were never in trouble. Would But would a better team take advantage of the mistakes we made and how? I mean, mm-hmm. I think that this is a team at this point where it's like, you're going to have to have a transcendent offense. You're going to have, have to have a transcendent wide receiving day, right? You're going to have yeah. to have a, a quarterback who can deliver the ball. And you're going to have to have an, a wide receiver who is one of the better wide receivers in the nation. Because you're not, I mean... One of my big takeaways from this game, and and I think if you haven't seen this UGA defense play in person, you really should try to, even if it's against some nobody team. Uh, one of my big takeaways is like you just shouldn't run on this team. I mean, no. every time South Carolina ran the inside draw play, it was just like, or not inside draw, but every time they ran inside zone, that it just there was nothing happening. And if you look at mm-hmm. like South Carolina's rush numbers on the day, they were let's see, thirty-one rushes for ninety-two yards, ninety-two yards. Right. They mm-hmm. had two. Uh, they had, let's see, eight stuffed runs. So one out of four of the runs was stuffed for, you know, less than zero game. They had 15 stopped runs, which was uh, so 48 percent of their runs was let were less than or equal to two yards. So more than half the time that they ran, they got less than two yards. Right. Mm-hmm. They had uh, only, let's see, 13 opportunity runs, which is more than four yards. Right. So. I don't know. I mean, you just shouldn't run on this team. And, you know, even in the passing game, you really shouldn't run left to right on this team. This continues to be this Georgia defense to me. The most impressive thing that they do is run sideline to sideline. And if you run horizontally on this team, you're really not going to be able to do much. And and it was very clear that South Carolina figured this out very, very early that they just had no chance of running the ball with any kind of, you know, any kind of like, I don't know, efficiency, basically. Um what what are what are some off, off do you have any observations like just yeah, overall yeah, I mean, kind of things that you take you take away from this uh i i definitely found myself at times thinking um out loud that that at times the game felt sloppy um and that's why that's why that notes in there in the first place in our in our notes just thinking you know would a better team take advantage of the mistakes we made and you know digging into the stats we can kind of decide like were there stat were there mistakes like that the kind of mistakes that we would have been punished for um but at the end of the day i think that the score the scoreboard says we would have been fine even if the turnovers resulted in a little something different like three turnovers in the day is not great but they didn't result in anything because this defense is just playing lights out like you said like just to to kind of build on what you said a moment ago the i i really like looking at the epa per play for um the teams you've played so far because Basically, every time South Carolina decided to run the ball, they were their EPA was negative 0.25. Like you're losing points every time you decided to run the ball, and on top of that, they were losing points every time they decided to throw the ball, negative 0.09. And um, we can say that this run game didn't really get started, or it might not be you know what what it needed to be for Georgia, but 
they still have a positive EPA per play on rushes. And, and you know, I, it just feels like we're, we're doing what we need to do right now. It's I feel like the narrative that we tend to attribute to Georgia, especially early in the season, is that they're doing what they need to be doing without doing too much. They're, they're preserving their energy to an extent, but doing as much as they need to. But this year it feels different because it feels like they're also setting a tone. Like, like really, I went into, you know, yesterday thinking – I'm not yet convinced that this is a team that will score just because they can. I am coming away from this game thinking this is a team that will just score because they can. And so that 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 is the tone shift yeah. for me, the tonal shift. And I feel really good about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think to build off of what you're saying there, like it it didn't feel to me like we went too deep in the playbook uh, mm-hmm. in terms of just like what we feel we can do. We sit, we ran some tunnel screens to Brock Bowers, who that's one of my observations is that Brock Bowers is freaking special. Brock he Bowers, yes. Yeah. I mean, the most productive tight end that we've had in a very long time this early in his career. And I, I don't think that that's going to stop. He had the, his first drop of the year uh, in this game, and it was kind of shocking to me. Like, I, I was like, whoa, Brock, the, a pass in his Is hand he okay? Because, <laughs> yeah, it's like he's human. He bleeds just like us. Like, uh, it was it was pretty remarkable. But, you know, we we did some flood stuff. We did some, you know, all go stuff. We did some crossing stuff. We put we, we ran mesh a couple of times. And I, I think, you know, in the past we said like, oh, well, UG is not going very deep into their playbook as an excuse for why the offense wasn't clicking. And the difference is I don't really feel like we went that deep in the playbook and the offense was still clicking. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we ran a couple of those pop passes. We ran a little like uh, jet sweep motion. Uh, we ran some pitches, which we had run in the past. But I mean, there was not really anything in this that I was like, oh, damn, that's like uh, that's crazy. I mean, they, we the the goal line passing touchdown to uh, James Cook, which was his second on the day. That one was a very interesting play because you had contrary motion coming across. And then you and you actually had two very open receivers. Jalen Johnson was open on the other side on that on the contrary motion, actually. But that was a really well-designed play. But I mean, it wasn't anything like. I wasn't like crazy. It was just a good play, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a trick play or any, any kind of wrinkle. So I, I think really that's the big difference in this team. Like you said, and I mean, I, and I, I wrote in my observations, like UGA has an excellent pass offense question mark. And they yeah, really what's do. About? I mean, yeah, by EPA, this is the 14th rink pass offense in the nation, right? I mean, this is, this is a, a, a legitimate passing option. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, any the only other things I would say is you know in terms of the rushing offense we had some success running the ball on quick plays on on power I thought I thought we did we did a pretty good job on power and if we look at our our stats for the year UGA has basically run inside zone read twenty one percent of the time which is seventeen or sorry twenty one times which is seventeen percent of their offensive plays on the year and they have a thirty eight percent success rate on it outside zone ha- has been run eight times and they have a fifty percent success rate on it. Inside power has been run 13 times, just 10% of their passes overall, and has a 46% success rate. So, you know, I get it. Like, inside zone read is a very important play to sort of modern football, the way modern football works. But if that is going to be your bread and butter play that you run when you don't know what else to run, when you run to set up the run, and you're only going to have 38% success rate on it, you know, you've really got to start thinking about your play selection. I think some of that pitch stuff, I think some of that uh, split zone stuff, I think getting some stuff with some, you know, inside power running at 46% success rate that shows that we are able to move offensive linemen around. I mean, I think we have a very, uh, athletic offensive line. And I saw a couple of times where we read, where we ran power and we had Jamari Sawyer coming across formation. 
And, you know, we ran like power pitch out to, I think, Zeus and Jamari Sawyer was coming across and just like decleated a dude. Like, I think that really works more to our strengths at this point as a team than inside zone read, which I just. Yeah. Is a play. I, I know how important it is, and I know that it's like not sexy, and that we're gonna keep running it no matter what. But it just seems like we're not executing it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, defensively, you know, it seemed like that South Carolina wanted to try to pick on Amir Speed and Keely Ringo. Um, yeah, I, I think Amir Speed is a dude who is very big and can play close to the running scrimmage really well, and he can run with guys. But you know, against elite guys, which if UJ wants to win the Natty, they're gonna have to play some elite guys. He he probably gives up a step. I think Keely Rango is doesn't give up a step to anyone. I think he has elite mm-hmm. ball stills. But I saw him sort of get out of position. He wasn't in phase with his wide receiver every time. Um, he, you know, he he kind of bites on moves a little bit too much in this career. I mean, he's only a sophomore, and that's all right. My takeaway is I have two, I have two takeaways from the, well, three. One, uh, we really need Tyke Smith back. I mm-hmm. think that getting a guy who is an All American and I think David Daniel also would really help. I think, you know, uh, Dan Jackson, who is the walk-on, who is playing a lot of safety for us, 46, he's done a great job. But, I mean, you can tell that there have been moments where teams have had chances against him, and the rest of the defense has been so good that it hasn't mattered. But I think getting Tyke Smith back really shores up a lot in this defense, which I think we, m- we might get next week. So that's great. That's great, um, yeah. I also, I also think I'm very excited to see this this offense with, you know, Darnell Washington, Kyrus Jackson, and Dominic Blaylock all back at 100%. And, you know, when you get those four guys back, Tyke, Darnell, Kyrus, and Dom, I mean, my last takeaway is that UGA can win the Natty this year. Yeah. And I know that's, like, a big thing. But I, I, I tweeted before this game that I just feel confident. And I woke up on Saturday morning, and I felt like we were going to kind of name the score on them, which we kind of did. Yeah. Um, I think we could have scored 50 on this team if we'd wanted to, but we didn't want to. And I have, I didn't see anything across college football yesterday, uh, yesterday that, that told me that UJ can't win the natty. Some things yeah. have to break, but I think it just is what it is. Like that's how it is. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, man. Let's do prediction. It's, oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's, it's a very exciting season. Definitely. And it's starting out the way that we, we wanted it to, I will say, um, after we get through prediction review, I want to talk about uh, I've got the game on paper up for a couple other teams that I want to talk about just, you know, looking ahead um, on the season. But well, yeah, uh, we can let's let's wait for prediction review. Go ahead and hit me with one. OK, so so this is I, I pulled up the Georgia Tech Clemson game. And then I pulled up the Alabama Florida game. And okay. the reason why I pulled up the Georgia Tech Clemson game, because it was a just a, a an absolute mess. Uh, it basically was mm-hmm. Clemson playing solitaire and Georgia Tech trying to get their, you know, spin their, <laughs> they're spinning their wheels. But it was Clemson's game yeah. to lose, and I think the stats show that pretty well also. Um, I'm going to pop that into the chat for you to check out as well if you'd like to. Um, yeah. But this is this is the wild thing. Like, Clemson, it, if Georgia Tech kept passing the ball, the stats say they would have won the game, but they decided to keep trying to run the ball for some reason, and they kept a pretty balanced game. Um they, they ended up running 85 plays to Clemson 72, and Clemson gave up the ball twice, lost it more than that, but recovered it more than that. But it was just, it just mm-hmm. seemed like very much like a Benny Hill sort of meets college football game where Clemson just had, they seemed so rattled. And I think that they're going to, they're going to drop one, maybe two games this, this year. And I think one of those games might be to the South Carolina team once this South Carolina team figures it out. Uh, mm hmm. But what what are your thoughts on that situation? On Tech or on Clemson? 
Clemson. I'm not worried about Tech as much. Tech, Tech. Yeah, could, I mean, yeah. Tech has a, de- <laughs> a decent defense this year, but they've just been mm-hmm. kind of trash on offense so far. I mean, I, I don't. We're a quarter of the way through the season this year, and I don't think it's too early to say like uh, Clemson has a Clemson has a an offense problem, right? I mean, I I, yeah. I didn't get to watch some of that game, all of that game, but I did. I did go back and watch the like quick highlight of it, and you know what I saw was that just TJ does not look like he is as decisive as he was last year. And no. you know, on the year, even in even with some bad losses, this Georgia Tech team, this Georgia Tech defense, unadjusted for opponent, has played pretty well. But there's really no excuse for that. I mean, at this point, Clemson is sixth in defensive EPA. They're 27th in success rate EPA defensively. They are eighth in explosiveness rank defensively. They are 13th in rush EPA defensively and 15th in pass EPA defensively. Mm-hmm. Still an elite defensive team. But if we go through down their offensive numbers, 119th in overall offensive EPA. That is bad. That's 73rd in, in success rate EPA. 124th, 124th in explosiveness rate EPA. That is down there with like UConn, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the only thing they're good at is getting steady short gains, right? 18th in stuff rank, uh, rate rank. They they don't get stuff very often. 40th in line yards rank, so they're they're getting or you know small runs pretty consistently. 54th in rush EPA rank and 127th in pass EPA rank. I think that I don't want to say that Clemson is limited at wide receiver, but it's pretty clear that they that Justin Ross is not enough, right? At this mm-hmm. point, and man, that's just that's wild to me. I mean, 123rd in standard down EPA offensively 74th and pass down EPA offensively 65th and havoc rate uh, surrendered and 85th and PPO rank. So it's like, they're not good at, they're not good at consistently running the ball. They're just actively bad at consistently passing the ball. They're not explosive and they're not converting their opportunities into points. And Mm-mm. like you said, at some point that's going to cost you a couple of games. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, yeah, I mean, it's just, this is a weird Clemson team. <laughs> <laughs> defense yeah, good I, I, offense very bad i i think i think part of the problem is a they have not really recruited at a like sort of clemson alabama ohio state georgia level on the offensive mm-hmm. line and b it's pretty clear at this point that they are just sort of average when it comes to uh when it when it comes to uh their offensive skill talent they're basically mm-hmm. average yeah yeah and to say that like when i wonder when the last time is that georgia tech had more yards than clemson because they did they had 20 more yards in the day than clemson did and Mm -hmm, it it just comes down to the fact they ran six more plays i think but it's just it's a very a very weird day Mm -hmm. (laughs) weird day for football um the other weird game that is potentially concerning but maybe not is the alabama florida game alabama 31 and florida 29 uh at no point did alabama according to the stats they were never actually in danger according to the stats but florida put up a pretty good fight i would say um and i wanted to kind of talk to you about uh just looking through these stats if it's something these stats seem to suggest that through the eye test of this game do we have to worry about florida as much as you know this game would suggest or was it more so just uh it was a close game and it was just a close game and so um well i mean i think what i take away from it is florida can run the ball Mm -hmm. pretty well and them running the ball, 25th in EPA overall offensively. They're second in the nation in rush EPA rank, and they are not a, a triple option team, which is really impressive. 
but they're 81st in pass EPA rank, right? 10th in standard down EPA, 70th in pass down EPA, um, and then 75th in PPO, which I think has to do with their lack of a passing attack. I think this is a team that you're worried about if you can't stop the run. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying that I'm worried about them or that I'm not worried about them because I think they're actually pretty talented. You know, defensively, they haven't had quite the foibles that they have in the past. 22nd in explosiveness rank. They're not giving up these giant plays. Uh, 70th in SR rank, which tells me that they're kind of they're they're losing out a little bit uh, just on efficiency. But, you know, 22nd in rush EPA, 52nd in pass EPA, 66th in standard down, 17th in pass down, 83rd in havoc. They're not really getting home a lot, which is weird because this is a Todd Grantham defense, but 103rd in PPO. So it seems like that that profile is tells me that they are just like they are giving up steady yards and they are getting death by a thousand of cuts, but they are not a bad defense uh and they mm-hmm. can run the shit out of the ball i mean they they were running emory jones can run the ball anthony richardson can mm-hmm. run the ball they were running they they just did not have an uh, the the speed option that that florida was running alabama didn't have an answer for it now on the one hand it's concerning because it's clear that florida has you know found something that they like i mean this is probably yeah. an offense that's closer to what dan mullen wants to run it's very reminiscent of some of these florida offenses in the past on the other hand if that offense plays a, de- a defense that can really stop the run and force them to pass. They haven't proved that they can do it yet. Um, you know, 52nd pass EPA in the nation is okay. You know, but I'm, I don't totally believe in that. Uh, you know, Alabama wise. I mean, I think the thing is, is that this Alabama team is very good. They might be yeah. the most well-rounded team in the nation. They're, they're, you know, 37th in, Offensive EPA, 49th and defensive EPA, but I don't think that they have the kind of world records defensively that they've had in the past, right? We talk a lot about how Alabama, you know, switched in 2013 from being a defense first team to an offense first team. But the thing that all of those Lane Kiffin offenses have always had is is they always had a dude on the other side who was like Christian Miller, who like even if they were giving up 28 points a game, they had a dude who could just absolutely erase you on the defensive line or in the yeah. linebacking core. And they just don't have that. I mean, Henry Tooto Tooto looked lost at times yesterday. They lost, I think, their best linebacker for the full year. To me, I mean, what I take away from this is that this Florida game is going to be more of a challenge than we thought at the beginning of the year, but still very winnable. And mm-hmm. that this Alabama team... I'm not saying that Georgia should be favored against them, but I do think that this Alabama team has some chinks in the armor that they haven't had in the past because they have a lot of five stars, but not all, nobody. I don't think that they really have anybody who stepped up defensively. Like, I mean, yeah, Florida ran the same four or five plays for basically the second half. <coughs> yeah. Damn. Sorry. You're good. All right. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, yeah, that I, they're going to be tough games. And a, a yeah. piece of conversation that kept coming up uh, yesterday when we were talking kind of about the rest of the season was, um, are we going to play Alabama twice? And is that going to be the team to beat? Or are we adding Florida into the mix? You know, we, we even talked about it before the season started at Clemson and the Florida games. Those are the two not full question marks. Clemson was more of a question mark than Florida. But as Florida is figuring this out, I think we're better matched to Florida still than Alabama just based on personality and schematically. You know, if they played the same game, if you replaced Alabama with Georgia yesterday, I think Georgia wins that game against Florida. It's a mm-hmm. touch more questionable mm-hmm. against this Alabama team if we replaced Florida with Georgia. Uh, I, don't, because, I don't I don't. think we're yeah. playing. I don't think you play Florida twice because I think if you beat Florida the first time, they're not 
they're not going because they'll have two losses, right? And it won't oh, matter. No, I meant Alabama and, twice. Are we going to play Alabama twice, though? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, yeah. I think if you get to the SEC championship, you're probably undefeated. Mm-hmm. And I think if this team makes it to the SEC championship undefeated, they'll probably be favored against Alabama. And the last time they played Alabama and they were favored, I was like, there's no fucking way this should not be happening. We are going to lose. And then we did in the most mm-hmm. horrible way possible. <laughs> but I actually think we kind of right now against Alabama, this team, I I mean, there's not a lot that this team doesn't do better than Alabama. Like I, in yeah. a, just using my comparison sheet right now in a theoretical matchup, like even UGA sort of, I don't know, uh, work in progress offense against Alabama. You know, we probably wouldn't be able to run the wall very well, but I think we could pass on this team. I think we could get some, you know, pick our spots with the rushes. Um, and then, you know, Alabama's offense versus Georgia's defense. I think that is a, a matchup that favors Georgia, even with all the talent they had, even with Michi. And I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think if you get to play Alabama for the first time, you might not need to play him again. I Obviously, you could see a rematch, but I, I just right now, this Georgia defense is just playing so well. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you I have this little big picture stats comparison sheet that just has a lot of these uh, sort of advanced metrics that we look through that com- compares them side by side. And there's there's really not a category when, when Alabama has the ball that Georgia has not been better at than them. Line yards. Mm-hmm. Alabama is 17th in the nation offensively. Georgia is 18th defensively. That's the only time that it's even really that close. Like Georgia is in the top 10. I have 16 metrics that I measure. And Georgia is in the top 10 of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 of them. And of those 8, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 are either 1 or 2 in the nation. Feels good. So, I mean, there's not really a team in the nation right now that Georgia would feel like they could not play ball defensively with. The other other honorable mentions, I would say, just other teams that are that are looking interesting uh, based off the last three weeks. You know, we have we have a very I like that we have a very eclectic top ten right now. Like it's it's not just like four or five SEC teams necessarily. We've got Oregon up there at the top. We have Oklahoma, Iowa, Iowa, who's playing really really well. And I think that you know any one of those three teams and add Penn State in there, sure, why not? Any of those teams could sneak into the top four for the playoffs later in the season as long as they don't implode at any point. But um, a few mm-hmm. of those teams have already gotten their their hardest regular season games out of the way. And so there is a very good chance that if one of the top four loses in their championship, we might not see one of those. We might not see that team again um, in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So it it's an interesting thing to kind of consider and uh, to, to just kind of I reflect not- on going forward, too. I would not necessarily be worried about an Iowa matchup because I think Iowa plays the kind of ball like that. You know, people always say like Iowa gets you to play like Iowa and that's how they Mm -hmm. beat you. But the thing is, is like not so secretly Kirby smart wants to play like Iowa. Oh, 100%. That would be like like throwing a pig into a mud pit. And he would, it was (laughs) like, I I hate to reference like a racist story, but it would be, it's very much like bear rabbit. Don't throw me in that briar patch. Like, Oh no, Kirby Smart, a Kirby Smart team has to play a defensively oriented game where field possession matter or time of possession matters. Like, oh no. Um, <laughs> Oregon is a little bit more interesting, but you know, <clears throat> I don't know that I necessarily, outside of Kayvon Thibodeau, really believe in that offense that much. Mm-hmm. Um one thing that's I mean, 
Yeah, but I, I I think your overall like sort of just analysis of the way the playoff field would break down is is very accurate. Where it's like there are enough people who are having good seasons and enough good teams who have had it, at the very least scares at this point in the year mm-hmm. that this this could be a 2007 or a mini 2007 where it's like the the people who end up in the playoff are just a weird list. Yeah, <clears throat> we'll see what happens. Because a few of those teams yeah. do meet each other, like Penn State and Iowa. Whoever wins that game yeah. is in very good standing, unless one yeah. of them mm-hmm. is beaten by Team Chaos. Yeah, but kind, yeah, kind of has the inside track, right? I mean, you could always see Iowa. I mean, uh, I'm about to curse, so you know, gird <laughs> your ready. But Iowa <laughs> has just had sort of like a dog shit offense this year. Yeah, uh, I, I was just I was putting them into my my stat sheet here, which I love more than some of the people that I know. Um, <laughs> because I birthed this thing on my loins, but like 109th overall EPA, 96th success rate, 90th explosiveness rate, 104th stuff rate rank, 92nd line yard, 77 rush EPA, 115 pass EPA, 101st standard downs, 91st pass downs, 60th havoc rank, 89th PPO. That's bad. Yeah. And I mean, at least something def- to be desired there. <laughs> yeah. More than something dog. That's yeah. like, that's like 2019 Georgia. Bad. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there on the other hand, Iowa's defense is very good, right? 10th in overall EPA, 55th in success rate, first in explosiveness rank, uh, 40th in stuff rate, 50th in line yards, 48th in rush EPA, 6th in pass EPA. So, like, that, that's a legitimate defense. It would be a low scoring game, but it's like, like, Kirby hired an air raid offensive coach, but at night, he still dreams about running the wing <laughs> T and the inverted mm-hmm. gear. He still dreams about like the eye formation and fullbacks and stuff. Oh right? yeah, and so like I I don't think that that's a game that like would particularly upset him. Mm-hmm. So let's hit some prediction review then. Yeah, because we could talk about this all day. Because I can just switch between teams and and that, that it's too much power. <laughs> it's too much power for one man. Uh, yeah, yeah. first over under was three and a half UGA sacks. We only got two on the day. We both thought it would be over, so that was a not a disappointment. I'll say we we did what we needed to do. Um, Second over-under was two and a half running back touchdowns from Georgia. Um, I said under, you said over, it was less, but I did not expect this to happen the way that it did, which is not to say mm-hmm. it was a bad thing by any means, but our identity seems to be changing, which is odd. Um, yeah, it's very interesting because like James Cook had, I think, two touchdowns, right? I believe I, so. I want to make sure. Yeah, James Cook had a 23-yard rushing touchdown. And then he had in the fourth quarter a receiving touchdown. Well, no, no, actually, it is over. I was wrong because James Cook had one running, run, one passing, and then mm-hmm. Zamir White had one running. But I don't know. You know, I think the RB touchdowns probably the spirit of it was uh, running, right? Not yeah. passing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you still want to see your boy, Brock Vandergriff. Uh, we did not see him, unfortunately. It's seeming uh, increasingly <laughs> unlikely at this point. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. The further we get into the season, I don't think we're going to see him much. We're going to see a lot more. Maybe Charleston Southern. That could, yeah, that could happen. We might just see every quarterback um, in the rotation. We'll get Jackson out there. Why the hell not? Yeah. (laughs) I might be like the starting left tackle against Charleston Southern. We're going to give JT some PTO for that weekend. Go do whatever you want to (laughs) do. Jackson's going to run the the offense. Um, Yeah. JT's uh, just like posted up in a turtleneck in some wine bar in Decatur. (laughs) Yeah. Just uh, like I love that. hitting on all the forty-five-year-old homies. Oh, uh, and then it's finally, like, Shotty, Shotty, you drive that minivan? Mm. Hell yeah! Let me see the That's inside of your SUV. That's, That's practical, practical as hell. As hell. 
minivans get better mpgs they hold more you know trucks baby trucks are just big sedans i respect that minivan that's true though i got this chain on anyway <laughs> got this chain on baby uh and then the overall score you said 42 10 i said 32 10 i didn't expect us to to cover in that way um and yeah that you came home you, you came away with that win so i'm happy i want to I wanna point way. out that i was i was six points off on the final score which you makes sure me were feel, which makes me feel very very powerful although i will say prediction wise i do believe that you are still just absolutely raw dogging me on tally site <laughs> Uh, I actually haven't checked. I didn't do any tally side this past uh, weekend, so it is all good. You had such a good day uh, last week. It it was pretty bad. Next segment of the show, of course, is our Ask CBC uh, segment of the show. We've been getting some Gmails. Some emails have been coming in. Oh, we got some some Gmails today? Yeah, we got some Gmails. I did. I put them right in there. So, yeah, thanks for for coming out, y'all, and and hitting us with those good old-fashioned emails. Um, So... Our very first question comes from Sarge. What's your favorite adjective for a great defense? Because uh, <laughs> the announcers, you might not know this, Nathan, but the the announcers were going in on all the different uh, just adjectives. They were just kind of, it, it was as if they had their thesaurus open and they were just going kind of down the list. Uh, we had salty, we had suffocating, we had stifling. Um, and a lot of them, of course, started with S's. So hit me with your favorite adjective for a defense. Uh, ooh. Um, transcendent. Ooh, transcendent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. Opposing. I'd say, ooh, foiling. I think ooh, that'd be really good. Ooh. Stultifying. Um, ooh, stultifying. Arresting. Ooh. ooh. What about, uh, <laughs> one of my favorites is just reliable. Because Reli- that's, what, that's what gives me, that's what gives me, that, that, that's what calms my heart. Yeah, I like that. Eric Russell asks, would all-time UGA Sachs leader David Pollock start on this year's defense? No. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, David Pollock was a very good player, and he was relentless. But, like, he is sort of a, a – in many ways, the reason he wouldn't start is not because of his, like, talent. It's just because he's not the kind of player that starts on defenses now. I mean, mm-hmm. he might still. It's just like – It's very different now, though, I would say. I, I mean, it's just like – I. The default answer to any of these questions about would pass would pass players start on today's teams is no because nutrition and training and body fat content and mm-hmm. technology is just so much better now that like people are just if you took like eighteen year old David Pollock or nineteen year old David Pollock from you know two thousand four or whatever and just plopped him onto this team with the same amount of preparation that he had back then no he probably would not now if you brought david pollock into you know the 2021 uga program at 18 and developed him then maybe yeah but i mean that just even in the you know 15 16 years since he graduated you know that there has been a complete revolution in the way that you treat injuries and the way that you train and the way that you develop and the way that you gain strength and speed etc 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 i mean and then on top of that like particularly at the position that he would be playing probably would he he probably either play be playing defensive in or like a uh, jack linebacker which is like the mm-hmm. heavier of the two linebackers and it's like he's competing with or, he's yeah. competing with Trayvon Walker, Jalen Carter, uh Nolan Smith. Like I mean the, the thing about that was remarkable about him is that he was a very good athlete but he's also just scrappy and he never quit on any play and that got him a long way but I I mean I just don't I'm just not sure that he would man. 
All right, next question. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, his second question, would the sugar huddle be a good counter to our D-line shifts? And if you want to hit us with a little bit of explanation there. Yeah, so the sugar huddle is, uh, it's a thing that, I, I think the sugar huddle terminology actually first came from uh, Gus Malzahn. It's a very Gus Malzahn thing to do. It's where you huddle close to the line of scrimmage. You send sometimes the wide receivers and tight ends out early. Then all of the whole offense turns around all at once and then runs up to the line and snaps it quick. Uh, you, we saw a lot of sugar huddling from UGA versus Clemson because Clemson has a a very, very well-documented history and reputation as uh, as a team that steals plays uh, signals. And I'm not saying that that makes them dirty. I think if your play signals get stolen, that means they're not complicated enough, right? They're not working. But they have a well-documented history of that. And so UGA was using the sugar huddle and basically calling in each play individually uh, verbally and then snapping from there so that they – so because like basically the way that – the way Clemson, what they do when they steal signals is they figure out what your play is and they 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 send in a last minute substitution. But if you just run up to the line and snap the ball, then they can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that would help. And at this point, against if I if I was playing UGA's defense, that is something I would probably do just to to avoid those shifts, especially if it was UGA at home, um, because at this point it is sort of a drinking game where you're like. The defensive line caused another off offsides penalty with a shift drink, but I. <laughs> Which would get you real drunk, really, actually. But I, I I don't know how much it would help because a lot of the way that teams have tried to scheme against UGA has been making pre-snap adjustments and post-snap adjustments. And when you mm-hmm. sugar huddle, you don't have time to do that, right? And and part of the problem when you sugar huddle is that like if the play doesn't match what the defense has called, you're kind of screwed. And UGA is very, very good at executing mid-play and even post-snap like pre and post snap shifts, right? UGA is like, that's their, their reputation is they execute everything, any kind of defense, and they can shift in and out of them very, very easily at this point in the year. And so I, I think it would help solve one problem, but it would actually put you farther behind. <laughs> like you would have fewer uh, false start penalties, but more like pick sixes. So uh-huh. John Luca dogs, how much does this game change how you view the secondary? I mean, not really. I I thought that our secondary was limited because of injury before, and I still think that. And I think it's even more important to get David Daniel and uh, Tyke Smith back. I think that we put a lot of we put a lot on star, and we were running our base defense. The star is usually one on one with a slot and has to play man, maybe with some safety help. And the problem is that when you are your star is your second or third option. And mm-hmm. then your safety help is your second or third option. That hurts you. Right. And I mean, I think Dan Jackson has played well. I thought Amir speed played well, but this, I think it didn't really change my, my opinion because I thought that it was a work in progress and I still think it's a work in progress. Yeah. Uh, Abby asks, what's your favorite conspiracy theory, sports related or non-sports related? <laughs> well, I try not to mess with can, like real life conspiracy theories because uh-huh. The last two years have shown that this is, they are, um, they are very, uh, they're very dangerous, but sports related. I mean, I kind of actually believe that the NBA, I don't, I don't just believe like, I'm pretty sure that the NBA favors big market teams. Like I'm almost certain. I think that the Sacramento (laughs) Kings refing thing in the 1999, maybe semi or, uh, conference finals against the Lakers. Like I think the frozen envelope thing with David Stern and, Mm-hmm. Nick's, I, I, I kind of believe those. I think that 
if the motivation of your conspiracy theory is just like naked greed from corporations, I'm way more likely to uh, believe, believe it than yeah. than if the motivation for your conspiracy theory is like Satanists want to traffic children or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So um yeah. What about yours? Uh two. One being the hollow earth theories out there. They're hilarious. And um just if you Not want that you to believe them, but just they're no, no, no. they're funny. I just I like that they exist and there are people that believe those things. There's like you can there's hollow earth theories that like the governments all know and they push false science so that they don't like so that the the general public doesn't know. And it's a way like some people think that that's how like the Internet works, for instance, or (laughs) some people who think that ancient aliens lived inside of the Earth uh, and things like that. It's it's pretty, pretty bonkers Um, or that the Nazis were using the hollow earth on the inside to 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 win world war ii essentially and the united states used it against them to actually win world war ii like there's so many yeah it's it's absolutely bonkers um (laughs) super super weird there's also some really fun um conspiracy theories about like sesame street being um like brainwashing or propaganda to change like the 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 reason why american kids became uh more progressive as generations went on um is because sesame street was like communist propaganda of some kind so um yeah i can go i can go down a deep rabbit hole on some wacky conspiracy theories but you know we'll try not to here (laughs) because as you said they are dangerous Uh, Mm um next question was a pocket paper do you want to hit us with that one someone dropped a paper in your pocket and yeah, it was Abby, a Ask CBC. So Abby, without speaking about it, stuck a folded up sheet of paper into my pocket at the Sousa show uh, on Saturday. And these are two from Ben. One mm-hmm. is, what plane do you wish Magic the Gathering would return to? And I open that Mirrodin. up to you. Mirrodin. Mirrodin. Really? I want to go back to Mirrodin. Yeah, Mirrodin's my favorite plane. Isn't that other than where Innistrad. the Brothers War is? Because they're about to is do that... the Brothers War. Are they? Ooh. Yeah, the Brothers of War is like two or three. Like Urza. Oh, no, that's Dominaria. Yeah. Mirrodin, man. Yeah, that, Mirrodin, yeah. that's where you got the mirrors and like all of the... All um, the artifacts. All, those all the artifacts. Yeah. Oh, my God. You want to go mm. back to Artifact Winner, you trash human? <laughs> I uh, was an Affinity I, deck. <laughs> you absolute piece of trash. Um, uh, Let's see. I also really I, love uh, what's the one that we had a few back that w- had to do with the Aether. Um, I forget which, oh, uh, like which Aether, plane that Kaladesh. was. Yeah, I really like Kaladesh as well. Yep. I I really uh, dig Ravnica is my favorite all time plane, mm-hmm. but they've done that a lot. I, I love the guild arc. And if you don't know about magic, just skip forward about 30 seconds. Um, yeah, I, I love the guild, like the way the guilds are and like the personality that they all have. And I just like how they're really cool the types. And like my favorite guild is is Gruel, and I really like, which kind of makes me a piece of trash also. Um, <laughs> and so that they came from Ragnarok originally, but I mean, I I actually really liked Call Time. I thought Call Time was like a very flavorful, fun set. So I hope that we go back to it one day. That'd be uh, fun. All right, what's your favorite Planeswalker? I really love uh, Karn, and I love Urza. Urza because I read all the I read a bunch of the magic books when I was younger, and Urza was. Uh, a big piece of that and a lot of the the those books took place in dominaria because most of magic takes place in dominaria but uh what about you well, most of the first m- most of the you know the first uh 
like 10 to 15 sets like that was the default mm-hmm. setting was yeah um uh my favorite is the the first dome re-raid planeswalker because mm-hmm. i'm sort of a temi at 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 heart oh. and i i really just like big dumb cards and like dome re-raid <laughs> from great cat gate crash uh is just the dumbest the dumbest big like keyword big number guy like you get you look for creatures and then you can make them fight creatures but then also the ending thing is like you get an emblem that says creatures you control have double strike trample hexproof and haste and like every ultimate that basically just says you win the game and i i just love it mm-hmm. oh uh a uh a, you know uh honorable mention plane is kamigawa we didn't get enough kamigawa oh uh, kamigawa yeah. i think we're going back to kamigawa too yeah that's the cyberpunk that. plane so, yeah, beside like the neon... Shogun Cyberpunk. Yeah, it's it's Kamigawa Neon something. Um, I'm really really excited. Uh, neon Dynasty. I'm really excited about that because I love Cyberpunk and I like that Magic is trying to go past like European Renaissance fantasy. And so like yes. Kamigawa looks so freaking cool and it still has a strong fantasy element to it. All right, mm-hmm. so okay. This is the point when if you don't care about. Uh, magic the gathering that you can start listening again so yes first question or next question rather are more uga has long had the identity of a team that relies heavily on the pass game and the tight end as a pass catcher what do we need to do to implement a power running game <laughs> this is a joke because <laughs> i mean look i will say not i don't want to complain yeah i don't want to complain about the offense too much because on the passing game they're doing everything that we've been yelling about for the past like 20 years right we have t- like two or three legitimate tight end targets that we target a lot. Brock Bowers is the leading receiver on the team. We are a top 20 offense passing wise. Mm-hmm. So uh, what do we need to do? Implement a power running game. We need to stop calling inside zone as much, or I think this was, okay. Do you want to know the specific inside zone problem? Me and John, uh, who is one of our um, percussion techs, we sit together at the games. And what we noticed is that on inside zone, the problem I think becomes that the, so on inside zone, you have one of the guards doing a combo block and double blocking an interior defensive lineman with the center. And then that guard pushes off of that combo block and goes to the second level. And I think a lot of what happens when we have inside zone plays fail, especially when we have inside zone plays that cut to the outside, because you're 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 nor are cut to the backside, because your normal inside zone read, I think, is I'm pretty sure it's inside, outside, backside, whereas split zone is outside, backside, inside. Anyway, but basically, <laughs> I think a lot of times when our, our zone plays fail, it's because the backside defender, either as an offensive lineman or a, or a, either as an outside linebacker or as a defensive lineman, um, evades that combo block. And so that guard misses the combo block and then he get, and then our the running back gets chased down from behind. And I think if you look at UGA's failed running plays, that's specifically the problem. All right. Mm. Oh, I next just question. answered the next question. I, sure I already kind of answered it. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, you're good. That next question was the, uh, from Ryan Clark. Do you think the O-line struggles with run blocking are personnel related or coaching related? I think I and think yeah. it's both, right? But it's just there's a specific... And I think it's something that you can fix because I'm sure if I can see it, that they can see it, right? So... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Dizzy Dog. Does not being in Redcoats anymore get any easier asking for a friend? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it gets easier. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. I had a, a question from another f- uh, young alumni who was recently out of uh, Redcoats about this. And what I told them was that, you know, it's like 
it sucks not to be in it anymore, but the feeling of separation that you have from the organization is because of the newness of the feeling, not because you are actually separated from the organization, right? One of the things that's beautiful about sort of cooperative human endeavor, in particular, I think in the arts, is that, you know, these things are like grown over time by the people in them. And like the band in, in any organization that you leave is strong today because of the things that you did in the past. Right. And so you're still just as much a part of that as you were when you were in the band, right? The strength of the band is still you, even if you're not in it anymore. Right. And I think that's the value of doing things in a cooperative way. I think, you know, um, in the sort of metaphor I really like is like, you know, when the leaf falls from the tree, it's no more less part of the tree than it was when it was attached. Right. And the tree only grows because of the strength lent to it by its leaves. Hmm. I like it when you tell you try to tell people that you're an asshole or you're like, just generally like, I'm a bad guy kind of thing. And then you come out with things like that. And I'm like, Oh, Nathan, your softness is showing <laughs> the <laughs> true Nathan is coming through. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next question is Trey Beckton. What has been Kirby's biggest Achilles heel since taking the head coach job? Um, I mean, I think a lot of the problems that he's had has been just from being a first time head coach. And I think it's easy to forget. I don't, I think that the, the problem that he used to have, and I think this is sort of the from problem and the field's problem. And it's also the problem he had with offense in general, but I think it was also kind of the problem we had with game planning sometimes is that like you have to learn lessons quickly. And that's sort of like a magnet metacognitive lesson. It's not, I don't actually think his problem is like, he doesn't have a passing offense or he has too much mm -hmm. hand in the offense, or he doesn't respect like, you know, potential above experience. I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue overall, I mean, like, yeah, I wish that he would be a little bit more pro potential, but I get his, his, his thought process in that. Right. But mm -hmm. I think the, the core issue is that to, to sort of evolve, to, to be successful in a field that evolves quickly and that evolves in this sort of like recursive responsive way where evolution happens because someone else finds a, an efficiency that you haven't found. Right. And then they're better than you. And then you have to evolve too. And I think one of the things Kirby didn't really have figured out in like the 2015, 2017 kind of era was that like, you have to be quick on your feet in your thinking as a college football coach. And I think he has been, I, I think, you know, like people complained about Stet coming in, but it's like, look, man, I think it was pretty clear to anyone that was at that game that UJ was winning that game after they went up 14, nothing. And oh, yeah. so like, I think Kirby probably thought, well, if we have a worst case scenario where Stet throws an interception on the first pass, we're probably not going to give anything up more than, more than a, a field goal. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense. Right. And yeah, I wish he had put Carson Beck in if he was going to put anybody in, but I get it. Right. You, yeah. From Kirby's perspective, I think that we get a little too enamored with four, with star rankings. And I don't mean that to say that they don't matter. I mean to say that, like, if you think about the value added to a team, it's not directly correlated to star rankings. Like, Stetson Bennett is a very valuable piece of this team in the sense that, like, he is a luxury that most very, very big teams don't have access to, which is a, yeah. a legitimate uh, option at your second string quarterback, right? And I think to Kirby, like, we think about it like, oh, well, we got to develop for the future. You got to develop for the future. But I think Kirby thinks... I have to keep this guy happy who has another year of eligibility, right? Who has scrapped and clawed and who has left the program once already because like I want him on the team next year willing to be the backup, right? Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. Uh this next question was a Gmail question. This came from 
Rachel Bailey who sent it in for Andrew Bailey. The question is, what D&D spell would be most useful on the football field? And they, they, they know that we play D&D, obviously. Nathan and I are in the same D&D group that meets weekly. So we, we get to see a lot of each other uh, in addition to, to recording with each other each week. So what D&D spell would be most useful, Nathan? Um, I, I'm interested to hear your answer as well. Um, I have a few. I have yeah. two. I have two or three I can think of. Uh-huh. Uh, I think an obvious one is haste. Yeah. Or like long strider. Like, yeah. It doubles your act. If it doubles your movement speed or your action economy, that means you're basically twice as fast. If you can imagine like twice as fast, Jordan Davis, mm-hmm. twice as fast Oof. as Donnie Mitchell, right? I mean, it doesn't way- mean twice yeah. as fast as Zeus. Like, Oh boy. If you're a defensive coordinator, like who's casting the spell? Is the, is the, is the player That's casting the, real the spell? That's the question. Because I don't know. Like, haste is a haste is a concentration spell, right? So mm-hmm. the players casting haste on themselves, and they're going to have to make a bunch of concentration checks every time they get hit. Mm-hmm. If the if the coach is casting it, then slow or mass slow, I think would be really good. Yeah, uh, I found. Uh, I think that wall of force would be really good, or ooh, um, like, yeah, yeah, that'd be super good. You basically cut off like entire lanes of the field, or. Um, one one spell that I think already exists on the football field is just vicious mockery, <laughs> which is uh, vicious mockery is just one of those things where you you unleash it like a string of insults and it's enchanted and it hurts, <laughs> so just making your words hurt. Um, and there's a bunch of different spells that like make people sick or like there's you know like like vines that hold things into place and things like that hold person command charm like there's a bunch of if you can think it or dream it then it is it is a spell in D of some kind but uh polymorph might be funny too it'd be really good turn some <laughs> folks into different things sheep or frogs or whatever finally um, I think that this has been a really, this has been one of my favorite new segments this year is Yara's Rage Against the Machine. And I think the Yara's Rage Against uh-huh. the Machine is very much a, like a review episode segment, whereas Dr. James Barefield's Troll Corner can fit in anywhere, but is, I, is I, a pre- yeah, like they're, they're kind of two sides of, of the same coin in a way, but, uh, I'm going to hit you with these in true, uh, Yara fashion, just all at once and very fast. Are you ready? <laughs> Some of these you're going to have to answer cause I haven't dated in a long time. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, okay, not a question, but we beat the cocks. Go logs. Stick them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's great. So I'm playing next week at the Vandy game. What? Who should I be looking out for? What's your official CBC score prediction? Yo, this is really early. Um, I think we're gonna win this game by like 30, 40 points. Hey yo, ya bitch got a first date this week. Please give me some good old fashioned millennial advice. You got? Do you have an answer? Um, I think that yeah, first dates are, are exciting because uh, you know they this person likes you, and just remember that when you get nervous and your hands start to sweat and that kind of thing, and just be yourself. That's all. Yeah, I think. I mean, I I can't give dating advice because I haven't dated in probably since you were like three or four, kid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I would say my relationship advice is that, you know, if you don't enjoy time around each other, you shouldn't be dating. Mm-hmm. And, I Go mean, have, and that's yeah. kind of stupid, but like, it's, it, I don't think it's that complicated. <laughs> like, also, like you, this is one thing that I think is really important that I've been thinking about a lot lately is like, you, you have been on so many dates and you just maybe have not called them dates because 
you we we live in a society that romanticizes relationships and like keeps uh like romantic relationships separate from just platonic relationships which in lots of ways they are different but you do the same stuff <laughs> so you've been on so many dates you're a dating pro because you've been on so many dates with your friends and so nice. uh yeah think about it it's the same smart. same thing you just might kiss and that's pretty cool but hey kiss yeah. your friends <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not gonna, I don't know if I'm going to say yeah about that, but yeah, the rest of it, I was... <laughs> All right, yeah, I got too chaotic. Do you think Stetson will start again after last night? Why or why not? I mean, I, if there's an injury, yeah, I think he's the guy that will go to, but I, I, I'm i going to say no because I don't want to wish any injuries into existence. Yeah. Well, he could start like the Charles Southern game, Charleston Southern, but I think that JT will probably it, start. Yeah, and then, he could. Yeah, come right in after the first quarter or something. Uh, who's your MVP of the team so far and why? I mean, this is weird, but like, is it Brock Bowers? I mean, I, I think it's probably Jordan <laughs> Davis is the honest answer. But if, if you Kobe were saying Dean. like, who's the op? If you, yeah, but I think it's Jordan Davis overall, and mm-hmm. and I think Jake Camarda as the punter has has a like. I think Jashley just pointed that out in our general chat, but uh, it I I think just overall like Jordan Davis is is the is the grease that that he's the guy. the wheel of the, of the number one defense. Yeah, he is that guy. Yeah, uh, daddy, I'm gonna come I back mean, around, Daddy. To I the mean, Daddy, I mean, sorry, no, Daddy. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna come back around to this next question at the end, but uh, I'm gonna keep on rolling. What advice do you have for the dogs going into the road trip to Nashville? Uh, don't go out in Nashville the night before because if you don't do that, then you should win by 35 points. <laughs> do you have a favorite Redcoat stands tune? Uh, for a long tune, I like Power. For a short tune. I mean, I like six, like six is kind of lame, but it's, I've played it a lot. You know what I mean? It's fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Should I get a septum piercing? Have been contemplating it for a while, but also don't want to look like a bull. I think the thing about body modification and in particular piercings is that like they'll heal up. So yeah, yeah they go away. Like let your freak flag fly, man. I have a friend who has a septum piercing and they um, will flip it down. It's like <coughs> they'll flip it down when they're in casual mode, but in business mode, you can flip it back up so you can hide it. You can hide that thing. Don't have to be mm-hmm, out all the time. Mm-hmm, last, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Second to last question. Why do we keep flopping in the fourth quarter, bro? Because we're up by 25 points and we put in the second team. So, yeah. We can do whatever we, we want. Touchdown. <laughs> we, had, we had the entire touchdown. We had the entire second team defense on and they they moved the ball. I will say, hey, before we get to this last question, uh, I do think that you – I think we it, it bears mentioning that Yara was the first ever recipient of the Justin Smith family – honorary patreon scholarship and mm. uh, that yara's questions are so good that someone else another patron paid for them to be on the patreon because oh, that's yeah. how much we want their chaos in our lives all right if you need someone to pay for your what, what i'm getting from this is if you need somebody to pay for your discord uh subscription then reach out to justin smith <laughs> get him. i mean honestly like if you just hit us in the dms like if it's that we'll help you out actually you can probably find someone who will who will who will support you in that yeah. Oh, for sure. I just like to call out Justin. But yes. Yeah. You're welcome. Join us. Uh, and final question. What's your favorite college story? I mean, what's my favorite story or what's my favorite story I'm going to tell in public? That one's up to you. That's up for interpretation. Okay. Well, my favorite college story that favorite such a funny word because like this is not a fun or good memory, but mm-hmm. a college story that I really like think was just sort of one of those weird moments where life uh, imitates art and imitates like Western narrative was mm-hmm. my last game in Redcoats. 
UGA was six and six and got into a bowl game. And we were playing UCF. We're playing um, Dan Leary. Or no, what was that guy's name? Something O'Leary. Anyway, we're playing this this coach's UCF team, which is they were also bad. They just snuck into a bowl game. And it was my last game as a red coat, and I was already really emotional. And <laughs> we lost 10 to 6. It was just a miserable time. We were on the sidelines, and one of the UCF players said some really racist stuff to another uh, red coat. It was Kevin Johnson. He probably still remembers this. Um, and <laughs> I walked out. We walked out of the stadium. We packed up our horns. This was in Memphis. It was at the Liberty Bowl. Uh, we walked out of the stadium. We packed up our horns. And I was like in leadership. So I was trying to make sure like all the horns got loaded. So by the time I, we closed the truck, it was just me in the parking lot. And I saw the buses were like half a mile away through this giant parking lot. And I'm alone. And I'm like, I start crying because my Redcoat career is over. And as I like turn and like slump my shoulders dejectedly, it just starts freaking pouring like <laughs> like a wall of water from heaven uh, uh, and and it was uh i had to walk all the way across the parking lot at squishy shoes and i just was so bummed out i like refused to up my pace i just sort of like stomped forward and well we got there and then we had to, i had to ride home to memphis that night Jeez. So I just like got into the bus, still crying, changed my clothes, sat down, and had an eight-hour ride or whatever back to Athens. Uh that's the favorite one I can tell. And then I, I don't think I guess my favorite one overall, but I've told this story before, was the whole like Auburn blackout game deception thing. But mm-hmm. that's in the that's in the archives. And I can yeah. tell that one later. You gotta go find that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh my favorite college story is that I used to live with this guy named Slippery Mike. And he, this is a name okay. he earned, uh, Slippery Mike. And so the way that Slippery Mike earned his name is, um, first off, he was just a, a super weird guy. Uh, I lived in this house with, with three other guys, and they were all very, very strange in their own way. Um, like, one of them was literally naked all the time. Um, and, like, I, f- I had to change a light in my bathroom once, and I fell out of the swivel chair that I was standing on stupidly, and he busted into my bathroom after hearing me crash onto the floor and tried to help me up, like, butt naked. And I was also butt naked, and I'm just like, what's happening? Why is this happening? Um, That's one of the guys. But Slippery Mike, (laughs) we went to a party um, that was like a – I believe it was a space pirate um, lube wrestling party is how it was advertised to us. And What? Yeah, space so you pirate can't just lube walk over that party. like it's normal. <laughs> space pirate because of whatever the decor was. There were a lot of lasers and decor, and there was lube wrestling. And Mike, it it was lost on Mike that lube wrestling is typically one of those like horny college things where it's like we're going to get a lot of like scantily clad women to wrestle in lube. And so he came in his wrestling singlet because he was a high school wrestler, and. He, at some point in the party, was upset that nobody was doing any wrestling. And so he stripped off into his singlet and started challenging partygoers to fight him. Uh, And after he kicked like four or five dudes' asses who just didn't want to deal with him yelling at them anymore, he started like spraying lube all over himself and yelling at the top of his lungs, who wants to fight Slippery Mike? And that is uh, one of my favorite college stories i will say i, I, I saw like, mike i feel like yeah. everybody has a everybody has a roommate that seems like they shouldn't exist yeah you know this what is i'm a saying real person. like 
yeah, you're like, there's no way that's a real human, but like mm-hmm. they are. I had I had a roommate like that too. His name was Koski. <laughs> um, and Koski Koski would just get up to some stuff, you know? Like when mm-hmm. the Georgia Theater burned down, he was like at work or yeah, he worked at the Game Day Suites downtown. And when the Georgia Theater d- downtown uh, was burning down, he texted me and he was like, "Hey, come to my work, man." I was like, "Why?" He's like, "Oh, it's an emergency." And he had a, he took a picture of like the big smoke plume coming up from the Georgia Theater. So I drove over there because I was like, "Oh crap!" Like maybe something happened. And I get to his work, and he just like leads me up to the top of the roof, and he has like two chairs and beer or whatever. And just <laughs> watch the Georgia Theater burn down. Holy shit! Yeah. That's morbid. Well, that's our show. Do you want to see us out? <laughs> yeah, sure. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you can subscribe to a podcast by searching Chapel Bell Curve. If you'd like to get in touch with us or submit an Ask CBC question or send us hate mail, you can hit us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve, on old school email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at Chapel Bell Curve. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can A, leave us a review, which is very free, 100% in fact. So free. Or if you would like to put your money where your proverbial in, uh, internet mouth is, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. You can get access to our Patreon for as little as $1 a month, and that will give you access to our excellent Discord, a really fun community of people that has a lot of fun doing dumb stuff. And if that sounds like you, we think that you like it. We'll catch you in the Classic City, or I guess we'll catch you in, we'll catch you in the Classic City, or in, I guess, Nashville next week. And until then, go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs.